Okay, guys, I know we're celebrating a lot, but look what happened today, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I know. I think it's cause for celebration or something. This, I broke my first drum sit, guys. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Good morning. We're going to have a good time this morning. Eric's been talking a lot about soil and all this stuff, and it makes me just want to talk about lawns and dirt and... I promised myself this morning I will not talk about and bore you guys with lawns, even though I look for every excuse to. This morning I heard, I heard a rumor from Orion that James doesn't like mowing lawns. And this is an extreme disappointment. Yeah. Um, Orion does it every week. I know, I know where my efforts as a youth pastor need to be directed now. Um, somehow we're going to get a lawn here to mow. Uh, and we're going to work this out. Although we are, we are raising up some good mowers. Uh, Hunter's not in here right now, but apparently he's, he's working on it. He can put the stripes down pretty good. Uh, yeah. Dang it. Slipped right into lawn talk. Didn't even mean to. Oh, okay. So it's been a while since I've been up here uh, and talked to you guys. So I'm going to give you guys a recap because I'm actually doing part two of what I talked about last time. Um, and that was two months ago, so I don't expect you guys to remember all that, all that well what happened. Um, but real quick, we went into the book of Daniel a few months ago, and uh, I've still been studying Daniel since then. Daniel's been, um, I don't know, just been opening, the Lord's been opening up the book for me, helping me understand, because I love this idea, and this is where we need to start, that we are all, you've said yes to Christ you said, I am in line with the Lord's will. That makes you a citizen of his kingdom. I love this idea of sins of kingdom. I think I might have referenced it every message I've done for the past few years. Um, somehow I find a way to reference it. But we're a citizen of his kingdom. But we're called to do his work here in this kingdom. In this world that does not follow the rules of God's kingdom. And so there's a, there's a challenge that we're faced with. And Jesus isn't shy about this. He, he tells us all about this, a couple different parables. He says, hey, you're going to do my work in a world and around people that aren't exactly fond of me. So go and have fun. And it's gonna, you're going yeah, to have a, a great time. Um, I, I think about it like, have you guys gone out over on, a, it's like 12 Bridges and Joiner where those cross? They're doing all that construction out there. And if you know the area, you know there's just tons of rocks. And when you look at the trenches that they've dug, it's all just rock. It doesn't even look like there's any dirt down there. It's just all rock all the way down. And I'm thinking, that feels a lot like what we're doing here. We're trying to do a lot of work around a lot of stubbornness. It doesn't want to be done. Yeah, we're doing it around a lot of stubbornness. We have a lot of challenges. But the Lord has a plan. We're here to get it done. So as citizens of God's kingdom, we're called to make disciples, we're called to baptize, baptize the disciples, endlessly preach the gospel. That's what we're called to do. Amen? Amen. Yeah? Okay. We're all, on the same, we're all on the same page in that. Um, my mouth is dry. I looked it up on Google. Apparently water helps. Right, Billy? Yeah. Um, so... Let's recap la uh, the last time I spoke. We talked about how do we get work done. And we, and we realized that there's these three, uh, four exiles. Uh, Daniel on his 
three friends, their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, everyone knows their Babylonian names. And so we realized that, hey, they were taken out of their kingdom, they were taken out of Israel, they were taken out of the home that they're designed to live in and brought to this other kingdom that's completely opposite of their own. And so we, we looked at the first chapter of Daniel and we pulled some truths out of there of how do we, how do we thrive in a kingdom that is opposed to the work that we're doing? How do we thrive in a kingdom that's opposed to the work that we're doing? We resolve not to defile ourselves. We hold on to our true identity. And we understand and we go forward knowing that God is our source of our power, life, and all of our ability. Quick recap. Okay? Everyone refreshed now? Caught up? Yeah, we're going to go over this more. But now, um, if you guys would turn with me to Daniel 3. Daniel 3, we're not going re- to read this whole thing. I'm going to summarize the first part of it. Just about everyone's familiar with this and want this uh, story in one way or another. Um, if you're of a specific generation, uh, Veggie Tales told you all about it. Um, yeah, Veggie Tales. Yeah, Veggie Tales are great. Amelia's starting to watch Veggie Tales. They're different, but she's doing it. She, you know, it's the it's the next generation Veggie Tales, I guess. It's cool. You have it? I think it's on Netflix, right? I don't know. Anyways, so there's this King Neb, King Nebuchadnezzar, King Neb for short, King Nebuchadnezzar. He decides he's going to build this massive golden image, and he's going to require everyone in the land to come and worship this image. Think about how extra this this king is being, guys, because it's not just, okay, here's the the image for, for worshipers to worship as they pass. No, he just demands that everyone just drop what you're doing and make this, this journey across the land. And back then, journeys weren't like us, you know, hop in the car, quick little trip to the coast, and come back, you know, on the same day. I mean, this is a whole thing. This, this shows us how, how much importance this civilization, this kingdom is putting on this dumb golden image, right? And what kind of world that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are living in. So he brings me, he tells everyone, hey, you're going to need to bow down to this as soon as all of the bagpipes and the lyres and the, and the flutes or whatever, as soon as the music plays, you guys bow down and worship this. And of course, everyone, and we know except for these three, don't. So we're caught up. We're in Daniel 3.8. So therefore, at a certain time, this is after, uh, after everyone was commanded to worship, some Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Maliciously accused the Jews. You notice how when you're trying to do something and, and you're trying to, maybe you're not even trying to keep it private, but there's always someone that's going to point out that you're doing something that they don't like. There's that guy doing stuff that I don't like. And so they come up and they're just a bunch of snitches and they come and tell King Nebuchadnezzar, hey, King, there's these three Jews out of here out of thousands, thousands. They are not bowing down to your golden image. King Nebuchadnezzar, he gets furious he, he is just, he is living. So let's continue. Uh, let, let's see what they say to it. They say, They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe. Ooh, bagpipes were there. Bagpipe and every kind of music shall fall down 
and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship the golden image shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. They take this golden image thing like super seriously. They, they, got this, they got a fiery furnace ready for whoever doesn't bow down to it. There are certain Jews who have you appointed over the affairs of the province. Now this might be a, a, a clue into what's going on because when we left these three previous, we were told that um, they were uh, in every matter of wisdom and understanding, they were found to be ten times better than every other magician and enchanter. So they, they quickly rose through the ranks. So maybe this is where some of the jealousy comes through. Um, and we all ask that the Lord have favor on our lives, right? I want the Lord's hand on my life, but it's not going to come without opposition from people, people who don't enjoy that favor that the Lord's put on your life. Amen? Amen. Yeah. People are going to come against that favor. It's one of the things that I, I warn students when they, when they step out and they go forward full force in the Lord, I say just... I'm going to encourage you to keep going as hard as you can, as fast as you can toward the Lord, but there is now going to be obstacles in your way that you've never seen before. And I just need to prepare you for those now. So there's these, these guys, they pop up, they're upset. Um, we're in the middle of verse 12. It said, uh, There are certain Jews from whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O okay, oh king, pay no attention to you, they do not serve your God or worship your golden image that you have set up. And King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So King, King Nebuchadnezzar is livid. He's upset. I mean, there's, there's this other thing that's kind of, it's very timely, I guess. Because we live in an age just like is going on here where people aren't just okay with them doing their own thing. They now demand that you practice and affirm their lifestyle, no matter what it is. So it's not okay for you to go and do your own thing. We live in a, we live in a world where it's like, no, 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 we don't like you doing your thing. You need to come do our thing. So there's this furious rage. We see this in our world all the time, right? Hop on Facebook for a few minutes. It's... <laughs> Yeah, no thank you. Up on Facebook for a few minutes, you see people, half the time it's just people upset that someone else lives different. Yeah. Let's continue reading. We're in verse uh, 14. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good, no fiery furnace for you. But if you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hand? So a challenge to... Uh, these three, and also a challenge to God. And so they're met with this, this decision. It's like, one, if I was standing in their situation, I'd be asking myself a couple uh, questions. How, how do I have a conversation? How do we navigate this world that is so opposed to a kingdom which we claim citizenship to? 
how do we follow God's standards in a world that demands that you follow theirs? Because this is the choice. That's before Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Either you bend or we will break you. That's what they're saying. Either, either you worship our gods, you affirm our way of living, and in doing so, reject your God, sin against your God, or there's a fiery furnace for you. And King Nebuchadnezzar is thinking this is probably really simple, right? Thousands of others have already done it. Many from different nations. There's never been a, a nation that he's conquered that hasn't bowed to him in this way. He's, he's making it simple. You can live happily in my kingdom. Just bow down to my image and, and worship my gods and reject your God. I think it's so off-putting to, to the king because I, I'm not sure that he's met three men like these, three men of faith like these. And I think this is the reaction every time when someone first encounters men of faith like this. It's kind of like they're just stepping back. They can't believe it. Maybe, I'm sure through King Nebuchadnezzar's mind, it's like maybe they just didn't understand what was going on here. Maybe, maybe they need a second chance. And here is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response to the king's offer for a second, second chance. And they said to the king, and we're in verse 16, they said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We're going to sit on these two verses for just a little bit because there's a, there's a lot here to, to unpack, so let's do that. First of all, what they, they stop, they pause, they say, okay, I understand that you're giving us a second chance, but we don't need your second chance. Our decision is already made. Right, I talked about in chapter 1 that the decisions that Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel made in chapter 1 lay the foundation and help us understand the decisions that they make throughout the rest of the book. They, they give us kind of a picture of these, of these men, and this picture is being added onto. So a few questions pop in my mind when I'm thinking about this, their response. They basically said, we don't need you. Our God is powerful enough to do it. And if he does do it, we'll be delivered from the fiery furnace and your hand. But if he doesn't, our resolve is still the same. We will not worship you. We will not obey you or fall down to your gods. That's, that's the response. But there's a few questions up on them. Why didn't they... Why did they refuse the idea of a second chance? Why are these men so firm in their resolve? And this is the one that gets me. Why? It may be just the way it's written. Maybe it's not meant to be understood like this. But it's almost as if the response seems very natural. Just like a reflex almost. It's almost as if they didn't even think about it. I could be wrong there. But to me, that's what it feels like, is just a reflex. Just This is natural for us. The, the solution is maybe not the easiest solution in the world, but this is our response. This is where we're at. So these men of faith, they are saying two things, okay? And this is, we're going to get into the meat of the message here. These two things. First, they're saying our faith in God means that we have complete confidence in our God. Complete confidence in our God. Confidence is the belief that one can rely on someone or something. A firm, a firm trust, right? 
there's very few things in this world that we have complete confidence in, right? Like everything that, if you build something, if you're moving something, whatever you're doing, I'm almost always thinking of like redundancies just in case this one thing fails and this other thing will catch it, you know? Or uh, backup plans, you know? What if this ride for our, our students falls through? What, what is my backup plan here? We're always thinking that way, kind of. And in fact, we get annoyed with people who don't think that way, yeah. right? When plan A fails and they don't have a plan B, we're like, what were you thinking? Like, did you not, did you just expect? And then, you know, the response is, it's like, with God, we treat him that way. Like, we don't need a plan B. We don't need a backup plan. But in all other areas of life, we have backup plans, right? Yeah, we have backup plans. Okay, yeah, most of us have backup plans. Uh, you, for most things in life, you, you should have a backup plan. Yeah, there's a reason why we have insurance on our cars and health insurance and everything, because not everything in this world is sure. But these men, they're saying our faith in God means that we have complete confidence in our God. There's no plan B. There's, there's no other route. This is, this is where we go. And it seems like this path is taking us through the fiery furnace. And that's what it's going to be. There's no backup plan. There's no plan B. There's nothing here. We're going to look at uh, the Ephesians real quick. Go to Ephesians 1.15, if you would, Mike. Paul is praying for the Ephesians. He writes all these letters to these different churches. But in his prayer to the Ephesians, he's here saying, this is what I pray for you. This is what I hope for you. This is what he's saying to the Ephesians. We're going to go all the way to verse 21. So verse 15, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in Jesus and your love of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Here's, here's the point that I want you to. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glory, the inheritance of his holy people, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. He's saying God has this immense power that's being directed at us as believers right at you as believers, his power. It's the same power, he continues, he's, it's the same power, uh, that power is the same uh, as the mighty strength that exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heaven, uh, heavenly realms, far above the rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. His prayer for these people is, I want your hearts to be open so that you can see the immense power that not only that God has, but that's being directed at you. I can't help but believe that uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had this, had this belief as a part of their faith that God's power was being directed at them at all times. You're wondering, like, how do we navigate a world that's so against the work that we're doing? Have an understanding of faith that's built on the fact that God's power is being directed at you as a believer. Right at you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, God wants to pour through you to do this work. 
that's some sort of unstoppable power right there, right? And they're saying this, they're, they're, they're explaining this to the king. They're saying, king, you may, not, you may not fully understand or comprehend that we worship a God whose power cannot be stopped. So no matter what you do, we're not turning away from him. Compared to him, you're, you're nothing. We can't bow down to you or this you know, piece of stone that you covered in gold. We can't do that. Uh, we place our hopes, our trust, in the God who is omnipotent over all. It's there that we find our refuge. He's powerful over all. This is where they get their complete confidence in God. They understand there's no power that measures up. There's, there's, there's no nothing that, that measures up to our God. So why would we turn away, for, away from that, right? Having this understanding that we can have as people of faith, as people that believe in our God, we can have complete confidence in our God. You guys, uh, I'm always re- I'm reminded of the, uh, like all the movies that have some sort of bomb shelter or tornado shelter in, in the works. Whenever you see those, everyone rushes down in a, pa- in a panic. And then when they're down there, you know what they don't do? They don't just hop onto a couch, pop a movie in, and just sit back and relax, right? They don't. They don't do that. What they do is they're down there wondering, how long will this hold? Will it hold? Will it hold? And they're just trembling the entire time. If God is our refuge, we don't do that because we have complete confidence in his power. We, we could sit back and relax a little bit, right? Take a load off. This shelter is going to hold. I have complete confidence in my God. And I have so much confidence in the magnificence of my God that if he does not save me from this fiery furnace, I'm okay with that. Because why would I want anything else? I'm, I'm okay with that. That's what, this is where their faith is leading them to. So how does confidence in God's power connect to the idea of saying no to King Nebuchadnezzar. How does this, you're, there's this confusion in my mind as I was preparing this. The Lord is like, sometimes my train of thought doesn't even, it doesn't make sense to me. And so I had this question in my mind, okay, how does this complete confidence in God's power actually connect to doing stuff in the world, right? It's because when we have a complete confidence in God's power, it leads to radical obedience. Because I have no I have no reason not to obey God anymore, right? If I'm putting all my chips in him, if I believe that he's powerful, if I believe he is who he says he is, it leads to a complete radical obedience. You remember, I mean, one of the commandments is, I, uh, thou shalt not worship any other gods before me, correct? So this is an act of obedience that they are participating in here. Their confidence in God allows them to obey God almost as if it's nothing. Just, uh, they're unshakable in this. Unshakable in this. It's the exile's complete confidence in God that pushes them toward radical obedience to God, not to bow down to any idols. This This is also an invitation to anybody who hasn't hasn't made the decision to give their life to Christ. Because Christ is saying, listen, there's complete 
freedom in, in me. I've laid out how to do life for you. All you have to do is do it. And you don't even have to worry about the consequences because I'm the one who's taking care of the consequences for you. I've thought it through. So there's a complete freedom when we give our lives to Christ and decide, I'm so confident in his power. I'm so confident in his ability. I'm going to obey him no matter what. There's one more end to this. So these, in saying no to King Nebuchadnezzar, they're demonstrating their complete confidence in God, but they're also demonstrating their complete dependency on God. They're saying our faith means we are completely dependent on God. Completely dependent on God. Think about this. Um, I, I wanted to have an illustration or an object here. I thought of like a rope from the ceiling. I just didn't have enough time. I don't know, the way youth pastors tend to think, and I think Eric can relate to this, is sometimes what I do is I think, I want to use this item in a, in a lesson. How do I use this item? Like, this is going to be really cool somehow. I just don't, I just got to think it through. And, and I, had, I had this idea, and, well, of course it didn't happen. And, you know, everyone would have been, I couldn't figure out how to hide it from everyone, too, before now. It's like this is a rope coming out of the middle of the ceiling. Anyways, what do you do if your whole life you're the one who has to deal with you're the one who has to deal with all of your financial burden, you're the one who has to deal with everything that pops up in your life, every obstacle, you're the one who has to has to make sure that you and your family gets over it. What do you do when everything in life is all on your shoulders? Well then you're looking around, you're like, where can I what's that? Yeah, stressed out. <laughs> yeah. You're like, where can I offload this stuff? And sometimes I feel like when we go through life, we're looking for places to offload all of life's issues, all of life's stresses and problems and concerns. We're looking to offload it. And sometimes we offload it in the wrong places, right? We say, okay, this person can help me out. And inevitably, even though they may have the best intentions, something will fail eventually. Or you're saying, listen, I'm, I'm going through all this stress. I need help. I need I need." truth. I need something just that solid that I can depend on. And when you don't find it, you eventually start, you just get crushed under the weight. What happens when you're being crushed under this weight and then you finally find that thing, that person that can handle it all? I'm not taking that weight back, right? right? I, I'm giving it up. I'm not, I'm not taking it back. He, he can have it. And so they're like, we're completely dependent on him, King Nebuchadnezzar. We are not going to disobey him, and by doing so, take back all of that weight. Forget that. I'm not living that way, right? And sometimes I even, you know, as a follower, as a citizen of his kingdom, I find myself sometimes taking that weight and putting it somewhere else or putting it back on me. Every time the Lord, as, as, I, as I can see that, it's either Riley notices something different or the Lord makes myself aware to it, or someone comes up to say something, and sometimes just very blatantly, like if my sister comes up and says it's very, very matter-of-fact, it's like, something's off. Something's off. You need to pray. You need to change. You need, something's off. You're not, you're not yourself today, you know? Right? Riley would be like, something's off. This isn't, this isn't how it is. Well, maybe it's because I took something off of God's shoulders, put it on my own, and tried to handle it for a bit. I can't even handle it for a little bit. I can't even keep a straight face. So why would I take that off of his shoulders? Why would I? 
I'm completely dependent on Him. My faith in God means I'm completely dependent on Him. We require God for life and all that's related to it. And we sometimes try to fool ourselves different. We try to convince ourselves that there's something, something else or someone else. Life and all that's related to it. That's literally everything. Yes, our, our God has the power to save, save us, but even if he doesn't, we will not abandon our God because it's in him that our lives hinge. It's in him our lives hinge. Why are we going to abandon the thing that's holding everything together for us? He is everything. With our, without God, what do I have? I have nothing but a load of stress and all of, all of the life's worries and concerns that I just don't want on my shoulders. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Now you go read that verse for context because he throws that in there. But he's saying, this is uh, Paul comparing himself to the rest of the, uh, the rest of the apostles. And he's saying, I am what I am by the grace of God. And he's saying, I worked harder than all of them. And he mainly says it because he wasn't there with Christ. He didn't walk with Christ when they did. He had a separate encounter with God. But he's saying, but even though I may have worked hard for all that I am, maybe I worked hard to get where I am today, it's the grace of God with me. It was not I. It was not I. This is coming from a man who's saying, I, who am I in this equation? Yeah, I mean, I can do this, I can do that, I have this ability, I have this talent, I have this insight, but it all comes from the Lord. It's all from the Lord. Remember, it's, uh, when, we, when we left off Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it tells us that the Lord is the one who gave them their ability, the one who gave them their insight in all manners of knowledge and wisdom. So if it's the Lord that gave them all of that, if it's because of God that they are where they are, then why would they abandon their God? Because of God, I am who I am. Because... Uh, because of God, the work that has been accomplished through me has been actually done by Him. I am, I am insignificant in this role and compared to what He has done, His power, His might. Because, yeah, it may look like because we serve an, an invisible God, I'm the one that you see working, I'm the one that you see moving. I'm the one that you're speaking to. I'm the one that you're marveled at. You connect that marvel to this face, but it's not me. It's, it's God. And King Neb, you know, you, re, you appreciate our skill in, uh, when it comes to us being a, a part of the other magicians and enchanters. You know that we're great. You've placed us high in your province, but you've got to understand something. It's not us. It's God. We have a complete dependency on God for everything that we have. We can't abandon Him. And even as believers, we're told to do, to do the same thing. And Philippians says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, 
Work out your own uh, salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works through you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. As you go about doing God's work in this kingdom, as you go about working out your salvation, humble yourselves. They're saying, King Neb, we have humbled ourselves to the point that we're completely dependent on him. Our confidence isn't in us, it's in our God. Our dependency isn't on us, it's in our God. And you're trying to separate us from that. You're telling us to remove ourselves from that, and we just can't do it. Just can't do it. How many of you guys feel like sometimes this is the question that's being asked of you? Just separate from your God. Separate from Him, and life's going to be so much smoother. It's going to be so much easier. Look, how, look how, how great they have it over there. Look how, look how good it is. Say, no, you don't see the full puzzle here. Their faith says, I found the one thing that has true power. I found the God that I could depend on. Why would I let go of that? Remember, they're in, the, they're in, a, they're in a nation full of all of these idols and gods everywhere. It's just everywhere, littered all over the place. And they're like, nothing compares to my God. Why would we bow down to your God? And of course, you can see how this actually could offend and make King Nebuchadnezzar rage because you're saying, what they're saying to him is, you think your God's more powerful than me and my gods? And think about this for a second. Is King Nebuchadnezzar, he's not connecting this. This is off the top of my head, so correct me someone if I'm wrong. It's the Babylonians that came in and conquered Israel. Ripped these three into Babylon. He, they are now subjects of the king. And now they're saying to the king, our God is more powerful than you and your gods. And King Neb is like, wait, let me get this straight. I just conquered your people. I just put you in subjection, subjection to me. How is it that you still think that your God is more powerful than me and my gods. And the response now would be, well, our God actually allowed you to do that, right? <laughs> like, he was actually coming after us. Like, and I'm not sure if you know this, a little history lesson, key. we messed up. And, um, and, and we actually separated ourselves from him once before, and that happened. We're not going to do it again. So it makes perfect logical sense that we're going to, go with this action here. We're going through the furnace. That was correct, right? Yeah, sounded good. <laughs> Why stick it out with a God when it risks taking away the comforts of life? Well, it's because everything is in him. Who I am, where I'm going, I'm completely confident in his ability. If he wants, he will. But if he doesn't, know that our resolve is still the same. We're going through the furnace. We're completely dependent on him. We've determined that life without him, there is no life without him. That's what we've determined. It's this kind of resolve that drove the great men of faith time and time and time again throughout Scripture and is the resolve that should drive us. We want to get the Lord's work done in a world that's opposed to it we have to stand as people of faith, firmly and completely dependent on him, 
and confident in his power. He's saying, and, I, and, I, and last time I had this problem too, is I can't help but think of students and, and college students because they're on a campus where it's like all of their friends. You know, as you grow up and, and, are, and get into adulthood, I've surrounded myself with people that the majority think like me, believe like me, right? But if they want to make friends, the chances of them making friends with a group of people that are all going to be like them, it's little to none, you know, following the way they do. And they're called to go on this campus, and we know that students are some of the most vocal people in the world, right, about not wanting to do something, about what they believe in, or all of this. Even at youth group, we've encountered this, where students will go, well, I think you're wrong. And so well, if you'll give me a moment, I'll explain to you why I don't believe that way. Like, no, I think you're wrong. They're just very vocal about it. So on, on a high school campus, how are you supposed to go and spread the gospel on a high school campus? Understand that God has all the power, and so put your confidence in his power. Not your own, not your status, your popularity status, not your ability to communicate, but God's ability and his power. And understand that everything you do on campus is dependent on him. So be completely dependent on him. Where is Joey? Oh, hey, Joey. Hiding behind the pole over there. Hope you're listening. This next week, we start um, doing some real planning for next school year. Um, we, it's myself and another uh, youth pastor from Bridgeway um, are going to meet on Tuesday, and we're going to start planning uh, how we're going to go about mentoring Joey and uh, the vice president of FCA so that they can be most effective this year on campus. And Joey's starting to put together his plan for next year. Why are we going on campus? Why are we going full force? Why is it that Joey's trying to reach his friends? Well, he has complete confidence in his God. And he's completely dependent on him. And the Lord has told him, you're going right through that campus, and I'm going to make a difference there. I'm going to use you to do it. I'm going to make the difference there. Hebrews were told about these men of faith. Hebrews 11.24 starts by talking about Moses. says, uh, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called uh, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, ra uh, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endure, endured as seeing him who is invisible. It's kind of neat because these great men of faith, whether it be Abraham, Noah, whether it's Abraham's son and grandson, Moses, and all that follow, they decided our faith means, if you, want, if you want me to spell it out for you, it means I'm confident in my God, and I'm dependent on Him, and I'm not separating myself from Him. So if you're wondering why we're making all of these radical moves, if you're wondering why our lives look so crazy, if you're wondering, wondering why things don't make sense, it's because I have faith in my God, and I'm sticking to Him. For Moses, it was, uh, uh, if he would have just kept his mouth shut, if he would have just looked the other way, 
he would have had it all in Egypt, right? He'd be like, okay, yeah, they're, they're being persecuted out there, but, but look at all this stuff that I have in Pharaoh's court. Look at this. I'm being treated as a prince here. I can't separate from my God. I'm putting complete faith in Him. The Lord requires us to be obedient. And sometimes that obedience takes us right through the fire. Men of faith went through these different fires all throughout their life. Doing these crazy maneuvers. When we look at their life and we step back, we're like, they went here and then here and then here and then back again and look what the Lord did through him. And like, this is amazing, this is great. But what it required was this radical obedience. What it required was this radical faith that comes from having complete confidence and dependency on God. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, no, uh, no, King Nebuchadnezzar, I don't need your second chance. I am a man of faith. I believe in my God. I'm sticking to him. To spread the gospel, to have an eternal impact, to live in such a way that we are conduits or vessels of God's love, God's power must, uh, must live as we are completely dependent on Him, we must live as we are completely dependent on Him. I want to see impact in this world, and I want it to be lasting. I want to have what I call an eternal impact on this world. It starts with a complete faith in God. Does this make sense? This connects? Amen? But then there's the little caveat here. Because I asked, why is it that these men, why, why does it seem like their, their response to King Nebuchadnezzar, their refusal to him, why does it seem so natural, so reactive, so, so almost like a reflex, you know? Why, is it, why does it seem like that? It's because we, live our, we need to live our lives like this every day. It's that simple. We are people of faith who faithfully serve the true God. In verse 18 of uh, Daniel 3, that passage we read to at the beginning, they're saying this. They said, but if not, if our God doesn't save us from that uh, fire, uh, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And earlier, King Nebuchadnezzar says a similar thing. Why do you not worship my gods? Why do you continue to refuse me? I believe that them living in Babylon meant that this was a daily thing that they did, that they participated in, that they said we, every day, they're choosing not to participate in worshiping these idols. Every day they're saying, we're sticking to our God, we're sticking to our God, we're sticking to our God, we're sticking to our God. And it became so reactionary, right? In, uh, in, in anything, whether it be uh, sports or anything that requires any sort of muscle, even writing, the way that we adapt our, our writing because we build up this muscle memory, right? Doing it every single day, this repetition, and then it almost becomes natural. It's why when you look at someone and they, they, they walk, years ago I tried to figure out how do I get, how do I change my walk, right? Um, how do I, I know it seems weird, but I, I looked it up. How do I change my walk? My, my, my cadence, my my pace, how do I change that? Because 
And there was, there's something off with my foot to where my foot goes out like this. I have like one duck foot. But it's weird because when I go, it swings out and then it comes back straight. It's like this weird thing. But years, I mean, when I say years ago, I mean like way back when I was in high school because my coach noticed that when I run, my foot does this weird swivel back there. It's like, what are you doing? This looks weird. Ch change this. This needs to adjust. And it's like, it just became so, it was just this thing that I did all the time. I did it all the time, every single day, and I still do it. I've been walking this way for 25 years. If I really want to change it, I don't, I, I don't think I can now. Maybe I could. But it's there because I did it every day. That's how I do it. And so we live our lives every day, people of faith, citizens of God's kingdom, choosing to stick by him at every turn, every opportunity. Um, yesterday, uh, I was talking with John, and somehow we got talking about tithes and offering, and I don't remember exactly the whole conversation, but I do remember this, because I told myself right after to write it down. Uh, and what I was talking about, I said, the way Riley and I live and we think about tithes is that every time that the Lord provides us with cash in our hand, it's an opportunity to demonstrate obedience and faithfulness to our God. And so we take that 10 and we give it back to him. Right? We take that 10 and we give it back. Every opportunity there is to potentially walk away from God is an opportunity to demonstrate to practice your muscle memory when it comes to living as faithful men and women, living as citizens of God's kingdom. It became really reactionary for them. I want to be someone who serves my God daily. I want to be someone who the Lord can use to make an eternal impact on this earth. I want the people that come in contact with me to have an encounter with God. I want God to use me everywhere He can. I want His power to flow through me. This requires a faithfulness to Him. We live in a world that's completely opposed to the work that we're called to do. The only way to do it is with a complete confidence and dependency on Him, sticking to Him at every turn. Even though it's tempting to separate ourselves off. Even in the smallest things. Even in the smallest things. One of our students, I won't say their name, so I don't put them under the bus, but they're, they're uh, saying how they like, they, they, they're having a trouble procrastinating. I'm a procrastinator. Any of you guys procrastinators? Yeah, yeah a, lot, a lot of people are procrastinators. There's some mixed studies about procrastination. But anyways, this procrastination did not lead um, to a betterment of this student. His grades fell throughout the year because of this procrastination. I said, uh, I'm going to put him on the bus now. I said it. <laughs> Sorry. We go through these things. I'm being put under the bus now. He thought he could trust me. <laughs> we can edit that out, Mike. Okay. Anyways. I was talking to him, and I said, How, what, what's the deal when you work with me, getting the job done, right? Just going at it all the time. I mean, I, I like working with you because you just go at it. And, and all throughout the year, I can give you tasks to do. I help you keep on track with um, 
different Christian club things that you're doing on campus, and I say, I need you to do this, have it done by the end of the week, you, you're getting it done, right? I believe that he's going to be a great uh, FCA president this next year because I think he's just going to get it done. He's just going to keep going at it. He said, oh, yeah, but when it comes to, when it comes to homework, I mean, I'm a little bit of a procrastinator, right? You can't just allow yourself to section off one of, a part of your life and say, well, over here, I'm this way. But the rest of me is fine, right? The rest of me is great. This requires a complete dedication of faith to our God, right? Every area of our life dedicated to the Lord. Because all Satan wants to do is get a little root in there. And out from there grows and grows and grows and begins to take over your life. Let's read uh, Psalms 46 real, real quick, and we'll start to wrap this up. Psalm 46. I want to make an impact on this world. I want to get work done. The Lord tells us, I'm going to return one day, and I expect stuff done. I expect my work to have been done. I expect my people to be people of faith, who even though the world opposes the work that I've called you to do, are able to get it done. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved the heart, uh, into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will be her help when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with, father, uh, with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord, the host, is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the kind of stance we take whenever something comes against us. We're men of faith. We're people, we're citizens of God's kingdom. We will not move because this is who our God is. He is our fortress. He is everything. As the story continues, and they say, we don't need your second chance, King Nebuchadnezzar grows even more furious. And we know how the story continues. He says, fine, heat that, heat that furnace up seven times hotter. You guys are going to be toast. And he, he just rages on. And he has his mightiest men grab them, tie them up, and cast them, cast them in. And we know what happens. They don't burn up. The ones who threw them in do, which is hilarious. I think it's hilarious. I mean, it's gruesome, yeah. But it, <laughs> there, there's a humor to it that the Lord says, look, I can put my protection where I want, over my, over my people. Then I can just see this confusing face go over the whole room as King Nebuchadnezzar is there with his counselors and these snitches, and they're like confused now because they're like, wait a second, we just threw three in there, 
And not only did they stand up and are they walking around, but now there's a fourth figure in there with them walking around. They're just having a good old time. And King Nebuchadnezzar tells them to come out, and they come out, and they don't, they're not bound anymore. Everything else burns, but it doesn't burn. So now King Nebuchadnezzar is like, well, yeah, it was hot. It killed my guys. It loosened your bounds, but you're not burned at all. They come out the other side of that fire better than ever. In fact, now I'm, I bet they're glad they went in because they had this miraculous experience. They stuck through it, and their God came through. And we know what, we know what happened. King Nebuchadnezzar issues a decree. No one will speak a word against their God. Let's his power somehow come against us. Or because I just witnessed this amazing thing, and it cannot be denied that their God is a powerful God. This is the, the, the end result. Men of faith who are citizens of God working to do his work, this is what happens in the end. God will get the glory that he is due. Amen? Amen. And we get to choose what side we're going to be on. Are we going to be the one that are giving the glory? Or we're going to be the ones that stand to the side and say, well, that, shit, that fire's really hot. That's too much for me. I don't know if I can do that. Are we going to be men and women of faith? Or are we going to be people that cower? Are we going to realize our dependency on him and, hit, and have a confidence in his power? Or are we just going to lug it all around ourselves? There's an invitation to freedom that the Lord offers us. Saying, listen, if you don't have to worry about the fiery furnace, if you don't have to worry about the most powerful man on earth, what do you have to worry about? Right? I've taken it all from you. All you need to do is live in that now. Live in that freedom. And guess what? Not only are you going to be able to enjoy that freedom, but I'm going to use you to spread that freedom to everyone around you. And you're going to be opposed, but you're not going to be stopped because I won't be stopped. They're going to come against you, but they're actually coming against me, your God. So you have nothing to worry about. Amen? Amen. 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 To be a people who do kingdom work in this world, we must be, be, be people of devoted faith. If we're going to be people who are, who are going to radically obey God's command at every turn, people of faith. If we're going to be a people where God's power is directed at us, working through us, and we're making eternal impacts on this earth, people of devoted faith every day. If a campus is going to be changed, and hearts are going to be moved, and lives are going to be saved, and souls are going to be won, we must be people of faith. Amen? Amen. I think and I pray about this city nonstop. You scroll through Facebook, you can't help but do that. And I'm just, I'm just so excited that there are people of faith that live in this community. Because I know now it's guaranteed that God's making impacts here. Amen? And we see it. We, just, we, we see it. I love, I love meeting with the other youth pastors because I, now, I get to hear about what, what the Lord's doing in the, on their end, in areas of the city that I'm not seeing, in lives that I don't get to interact with. And I'm seeing it. It's as if the Lord has... has giving me just this little glimpse of this 
huge jigsaw puzzle. And I'm not a fan of jigsaw puzzles, but I think the Lord is because he's just working this thing like crazy. And we're saying, man, this city is... I don't, I don't know what the future is like. And then the Lord shows up over here. He's like, I didn't even know you were working over there, but you are. As long as there are people of faith in this city who are devoted to their God, eternal impact will happen, no matter who stands in the way or what. Amen? Amen. There is no secret or special formula for how to thrive as citizens of God's kingdom, accomplishing His work, in a kingdom that's opposed in every way to him. It's been the same throughout history. God works through his people. His plan is to work through you, to touch the lives that you're connected to, to bring people into your life so that he can impact them. We need not fear, we need not tremble when it comes to the world opposing God's plans. But the Lord is saying speaking to me is saying, be a man of faith. Be a citizen of my kingdom and watch me work. Just watch me work. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being who you are. An omnipotent God directing his power at his people we thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing in our city, the work that you prepared for us. We want to be people, Lord, who have an eternal impact on this earth. We want to be a people whom you are working through to see lives changed. Father, show us what it means to be a people of devoted faith every single day. And this is uh, my commitment, my prayer for myself, and I, I pray it for all of us in here. Lord, I want to be a man that is completely confident in you. And Lord, I want to be a man who's led to radical obedience. Open my, the eyes of my heart to see your power. Lord, I want to be a man whose faith means that I am completely devoted to you and none other. I want to be a man whose faith means that I am completely dependent on you. And I'll never run from that. Thank you, Father, for the truth that you're speaking to our hearts this morning. I pray, Lord, that you help us to apply this reality to our lives this week. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.